Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Yes, it is me. I apologize for the raspy voice. I'm still fighting this sore throat. And in fact, I'm pretty much almost losing my voice right now. So this was an interesting interview. I do apologize for the raspiness of it. So today on the show, I have Danish Youssef. Danish is one of the co-founders of Zenshurance. Zenshurance is a company that markets and sells property and casualty insurance in Canada and basically is very much looking to streamline the front end and make it as simple as possible for businesses to acquire the property and casualty insurances that they need. And with that, here's my interview with Danish. Hello, Danish. Hi, Jason. Thanks for coming in. Of course, anytime. Tell us about Zenshurance. Zenshurance helps small businesses manage their insurance. Nobody really likes insurance and nobody really wants insurance. (laughs) Until the house is on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we're there to make it a very easy process, offer curated products from trusted insurers, and allow customers to do it at their own time. So for all these listening, I apologize for my voice. I seem to be losing it and doing too many of these apparently. But let's go back to Zenshurance in a couple minutes. I want to talk about your journey in starting the company and what made you make this leap. Sure. So I'm a software engineer by training. Worked at IBM as a developer for many years, right at the beginning of my career, and uh, got bored of the large company feel. IBM at the time was 400,000 employees. Jesus Christ. Just moving very slowly. Great place, but it was just not the place for me. Just so happened that McKinsey & Company was just starting their digital practice, um, their technology practice in Canada. So I was the second employee there in 2006. Hmm. I made that jump, spent seven fantastic years there, spent two years doing my MBA and then came back to McKinsey. And in my final few years, probably three and a half years, I spent all of my time with insurance companies. And we work in the property and casualty insurance space, not the life and health and benefits. So it's it's so it's one half. To me, good enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're about equal in size in Canada. It's fifty billion dollars each. In the U.S., it's about five hundred billion dollars each in total premium. So it's a sizable industry. And as I sat with the large insurance companies, there was a tremendous focus on operational improvement and putting in big technology platforms. But each of those programs were five years in length. And nobody was moving on this quote-unquote digital world without implementing a $400 million technology package. It took five years, never went on time. It was an over budget. And time after time, I I ran into that and I figured, you know what? It's probably easier to do this outside. And we'll talk about what the this is. Do this outside than inside. And I just happened to be having breakfast with my co-founder, Sultan. And we talked about this and we said, you know what? Let's give this a try. So the entire concept of $400 million build, and I've seen this with large enterprises before, they want to kind of try to, is, is it because they're trying to address like all their needs in one shot? Yeah. So you're nodding yes. I mean, it just yes. seems like they don't have this incrementalism thing down. They don't understand like minimum viable product and then right. slowly build from there. They're like, oh, we have this giant enterprise mess. Let's spend one giant ticket and fix it all. And it's like, that's like basically sitting down, on, you know, kneeling down and praying for a miracle, man. Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot. It's tough, but if you think about the average insurer, they have tens of thousands of customers. It's really hard for them to pick a small segment. Oh, I get uh, that challenge. And more than legacy technology, there's a legacy mindset issue. 
most people in the industry have grown up in the industry. There's mm-hmm. a very little coming from the outside. Yeah. So if you're just used to doing certain things in certain ways, it's really hard to change. Though I do see some movement now, nowhere near as fast as the customers are demanding it. But it's also this kind of this, this kind of like group thing, right? Like no one seems to be willing to, to bite this bullet and yeah. maybe say, you know what? What we're going to do is instead we're going to start this like skunk works over on the side, like Volkswagen did with Audi mm-hmm. and say, hey, you guys figure out the next generation of something. And yeah. then, yeah, then we're going to start just, you're the future. We're going to funnel business over there. They don't want to disrupt their own, their own core business. Yeah, absolutely. Some banks have done that. Yeah. And some, then swallow them up later, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there are some insurance companies in the U.S. that have done this. Yeah. Completely new brand, new office, new everything, and free reign to do whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that level of separation in the Canadian market yet. Is that due to the fact that it's more concentrated than the U.S.? What, uh, what do you think the reasons? No, it's, it's still very fragmented. We've got hundreds of insurers in Canada. You've got hundreds in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's an exceptionally fragmented market. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to five major banks. You know, yeah. I can tell you. Uh, six. You know, national yeah. always gets annoyed when they're not included. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, basically, you you said, hey, it's, it's easier to start from a clean slate. Right. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, what was the entire, what's the value proposition or what's the problem you're trying to solve yeah. uh, with the insurance? The ironic thing with the business is is 20 maybe 25 years ago you could have gone online and bought portions of companies on e-trade remember in the late 90s you would go online and buy shares to this date you cannot buy a small insurance policy for a company online and it's been 25 years the argument back in the 90s was it's too complicated to buy stocks people don't understand it's more complicated than securities regulation apparently yeah yeah that's that's the thing okay it's complicated you get adversely selected against people don't want it all of these reasons but it's been 25 years and people have been buying companies online and they're doing okay. That's the crux of the issue that we see. A small $500 insurance policy could be touched by eight different people before it's issued. How much cost does that add to yeah. the 500? How much of that is just the handling fee? More than the 500. Yeah. So everybody in the value chain loses money on those small policies uh, in perpetuity. As long as perpetuity. it's a $500 policy, no one's ever going to make money yeah. on it. But if you think about the, the loss ratio side, the amount of claims in that $500, it's relatively small. All of the cost is in the expense side because mm-hmm. of the manual handling. Mm-hmm. So we, we know through technology we can tackle that expense side mm-hmm. and bring it to the point where that product becomes profitable. That's from the insurance side. Take something that is inherently profitable but doesn't seem to be because of the costs mm-hmm. and actually make it profitable. From the customer standpoint, we see two-thirds of our customers trying to buy insurance after hours. Hmm. Uh, we only serve businesses. Two-thirds. and That makes perfect sense. And so if you're a business... By the way, there's no after hours for business owners, but continue. (laughs) Uh, If you're a business, between 9 and 5, you are running your business. You don't want to deal with insurance. Nor do you really care or do you understand what insurance is. Mm -hmm. So we provide that facility for business owners to buy and manage insurance whenever they want to. We routinely see submissions coming in at Saturday at midnight. You know, they've gone out, they've had dinner, they put the kids to bed. Now let's figure out this insurance thing that I need for Monday. So it's that bit. Also, if you think... The largest companies, the big banks, insurance companies, big retailers, they pay millions of dollars in insurance fees. So they have an army of insurance brokers trying to figure out their true risk and help manage it. If you're a small corner shop, you don't have that. No. So the second part that we're bringing is automated advice at the same quality level as if you get at a mid-sized business, but bringing it down to the masses. So you're building risk models Mm -hmm. to basically 
your own internal risk models to try to assess the risk of a business type based on industry, location, exactly. size, all of that. So lots of things to dissect there. First of all, in terms of your risk modeling to date, how has it proven? Is it, uh, have you guys basically overestimated, underestimated the risk? Have you nailed it? What do you think? Yeah. So today the risk models are from the insurance companies. Okay. So they will tell us if you're a restaurant owner, the biggest driver of risk mm-hmm. is the experience of the owner and whether or not they serve alcohol. Hmm. So those are questions <laughs> Well, that we second one makes a lot of sense, <laughs> and the first one does too, yeah. And the second tier is, do you have a hood? Do you have a fire extinguisher? Those types of things. So when we get small businesses, we've done the research with the insurance company as to what drive claims. And we tell them ahead of time, we recommend you have at least two fire extinguishers because you're a 1,500 square foot place. Or if you sell alcohol, we'll make sure you have the following few things there. So it is proactive advice. But it's digitized. Like you're not actually, there's no one actually in the line taking care of it. Or you're, so it's okay, an interesting that's not question. Quite, not yet. Okay. <laughs> not yet. One day. Yes. Okay. Uh, we do have people running in the back taking care of things manually. But from the customer standpoint, it feels automated. But we do have people today still doing things. Paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. I guess. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. Uh, <laughs> Just look at your screen, look at the emails, and forget about it. who's sending it. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting because you're using their risk models, which makes sense because you have... They have a wealth of knowledge. Are you planning to, or is any thought towards aggregating those risk models into kind of your own to try to assess how to better price or better advise clients? Yeah, we we definitely want to use our own data mm-hmm. in addition to the data of our partners. Mm-hmm. So as an example, when a consultant comes in, we can look at the LinkedIn profile automatically. We can look at what's being said online yeah. about this consultant to the extent they have an online presence. Even something like a Yelp review might provide intelligence. Yeah. So a Yelp review is interesting for restaurants. Yeah. You can tell from their Yelp reviews as well as their online menus whether or not they serve alcohol. But if they tell you on the application form they don't, you can see that there's a discrepancy. And you can ask them, are you sure you don't sell alcohol because your menu has 15 different types of tequila? (laughs) So there's the proactive portion and then there's the validation as well. Mm. What they're saying seems to be true. Maybe even things like their their dine safe reviews. I mean, those are publicly available, right? That could be of huge value. That's right. Mm-hmm. And if people are complaining on Yelp about the quality of their food, mm-hmm. there may be an issue in the kitchen. Absolutely. Um, your cleanliness of the place, any number of things. Right. Yeah. So then as an insurer, you have a couple of different options. One is you say, sorry, I don't no longer want to insure you. Please go elsewhere. Or you might say, look, I see this happening. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. I recommend the following few things to reduce the risk of a claim mm-hmm. and help them manage their business. That's what we like to get to. Perfect. No, that makes perfect sense. You're um, you're gonna, especially when you have your own data, it's very powerful to be able to drive that kind of that kind of uh, thinking or that kind of service. To date, what's the mix of industries you've been seeing? Has it been predominantly in a couple of areas, or is it pretty widespread? We started with technology companies. Mm-hmm. Ourselves are tech companies. We were in the Ryerson DMZ area, or at least the technology side of our company was there. So we started in tech and we've done very well serving the tech community. Then we added construction, consultants, healthcare, sports, fitness. One by one, we're adding more industries. We're actually one of the larger cannabis insurance brokers as well. <laughs> it just randomly happened and um, we constantly get a flow of businesses it's in that space. It's quite the growth area in Canada, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> we allow anything to come in mm-hmm. and then as we see the demand for certain segments grow, we work with our insurance partners to figure out a proper solution. Excellent. So you have several lines of insurance business. Can you speak to what you're covering at this point? Yeah. The most common thing that people want is general liability. And the most common trigger for that is you move into an office space and the landlord says, show me general liability. 
<laughs> people come to us and say, I don't know what I need, but here's the paper from the landlord to sell me what they want. Yeah. So general liability is a big portion. As opposed to covering their own butts the way they should. Right. Only concerned about a checkbox on someone else's list. At the small end, I'd say probably three quarters of customers are buying insurance just to meet a contract requirement. Hmm. So we do help them fulfill that requirement, but we also say, in addition, you should probably consider the following few things. Mm-hmm. And then it's ultimately their choice what to get. But general liability is, is the most yeah. common. Where I'd say is the fastest growth is cybersecurity and professional liability. Most tech companies provide some form of a technology service, so they have a risk over there. In cybersecurity, anything from your data to your technology assets to the computers that are running, nobody thinks of retailers as having a cyber risk. You Everyone has a cyber risk. Yeah. yeah. What I found is the weakest link are the advisory firms, so accountants. They have so much information on their clients. Yeah. Very few have a sufficient cyber insurance. Or Lawyers. sufficient structures in place for security, like two-factor authentication yeah. or, or passwords that, that had to be changed every 30 days. Yeah. Right. So I, I've looked at the advisory side and said, these guys really need the cybersecurity. It's funny you say that because that's one of the things I've looked at quite heavily. I mean, we do a lot of best practices around here because we know we aggregate a lot of data for clients. And right. that is that does put us in danger for, for attacks. So it's interesting. I mean, But we should talk more about cybersecurity. We should. We should. <laughs> the, um, and especially, I mean, I don't know. The honest truth is I don't know how long it's going to take people to wake up given that there is a massive hack announced like every week now. Right. I mean, we just had two banks in Canada. You have, well, not Facebook wasn't a hack. It was kind of a, hey, take the data. Um, but yeah. literally, you know, there isn't the size of these things is sometimes enormous. And I can only imagine it's time before, matter of time before a major accounting firm or major uh, legal firm just gets a massive black eye because of this. Yeah. When you look at insurance, auto insurance is yeah. probably going to go away in 10 or 15 years. With the advent of driverless vehicles. Right. Yeah. So the industry is betting on cybersecurity taking the place of auto insurance because mm-hmm. Half of all premiums are on the auto side. Well, you'll have to sell that to the auto manufacturers because right. the big danger will be the people hacking the computers, right, yeah. on the cars. But yeah, you're right. That's, that's a very good point. And I've had a discussion in the past about how in the future you will buy the car, the insurance will come with it because the driverless vehicle will be supported by the manufacturer. So therefore, right. it's their liability. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a, it's a changing world. Tesla is already doing that kind of stuff with AXA in the Far East. Really? You get your lease and bundled in lease is your insurance. Wow. Because it it is more the software you're insuring than the driver. But on top of that, I mean, it's also, you think about the cost efficiencies of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the fragmented way that we do things now and like you have every driver's got to get their small, tiny policy insured by whatever small person, by whatever company. And then meanwhile, versus Tesla going and negotiating one large rate for everything. Like I can't even imagine like how much of the total cost I must save. Right. So that's a broader question around the role of the intermediary going forward across industries. Mm -hmm. So if you look at just insurance in Canada, property and casualty insurance, Mm -hmm. there's probably a few hundred thousand people employed across the various portions of the value chain. If you start eliminating auto insurance and you automate certain things and you have a blockchain technologies that instantly sign contracts, what happens to all of these people? Whole another conversation on the future of jobs. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some interesting applications of blockchain, such as actually being able to tie into the accounting records and you're actually insuring against your actual revenue dropping due to an unforeseen event. So right. God forbid a flood happens in your office. What? Now they can actually see what the downtick is in your accounting software and trigger that contract to reinsure you. Like it's right. just, it's nuts. I mean, I think you're right. I think that to some degree insurance is something like you said, 
no one really likes the concept of it, right? You don't like paying these things, but you, when, you, when you need it, you're damn well happy you have it. Yeah. I just believe it's a product that's always going to be sold. So, And we can see that. There's been there's plenty of direct-to-consumer plays that have just not worked out, right? Yeah. Especially on the life and health side. But overall, yeah, I think any intermediary in the, in the digital world is going to basically be in serious danger in the future. Unless you add sufficient value. This is the thing. It's all about the filtering of the noise or the advice that goes over top of the distribution. Right. But the value is simply fill out an application, hand it back. That's easily digitized. If you think about travel agents, they yeah. still exist. Not as lucrative as they used to be, that's for sure. And they, they serve a niche. Might be people that want a super extravagant vacation or something very specific. You go to a travel yeah. agent for that. But the average person will just go online and buy their single tickets. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I've used a travel agent, even for my honeymoon or anything mm. else. I just do it myself. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm one who would rather outsource that sort of thing. If, okay. I've, got a, if I've got a conference, <laughs> yeah. I'll go on and I'll book the date. I'll, you know, it's, it's a flight and hotel, no problem. Right. But if we're going to some sort of resort or some sort of thing, I actually want, I wouldn't mind paying for someone who actually has data on that resort that I don't have that mm. knows how good it is or not. Right. I'm a big fan of my Amex concierge. What can I say? Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So what was the general reception in the industry to you guys launching? We cannot handle the volume at this point. There's so really? much demand. Oh, what a tragedy. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're so wow. rarely. Okay. So that's a great problem to have. Talk about, talk to me about that. Yeah. So the driver of that, the reason we don't have enough capacity to service the demand, because we were sort of a, a speedboat in the front end of the business, trying to sell things as fast as possible, to help clients. But in the back end, working with the big insurance companies, it's like working with oil tankers. And there's that constant tension in the middle of the company of how do we move fast enough? Yeah. We've definitely disappointed customers who are, went on our site, said, hey, I want insurance. And we say, okay, thank you very much. We'll be in touch in two days because you're a more complicated business. Yeah. And they turn around and say, well, I bought a book in 30 seconds. I booked a flight in 45 seconds. Yeah. I booked a Tesla in two minutes. Yeah. Why Amazon can't I buy? delivered this the same day. I yeah. I know. One person even turned out and said, you know yeah. what? In the amount of time it's taking to get a quote, I could have flown to Argentina, watched the tango show, flown back, and I still wouldn't have had a quote. I do not know people flew to watch tango shows, but okay. <laughs> that is, I, I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I, and I think the important, I, I, it's not, I know it's not your fault because right. I know at the end of the day, you're the front end, right? The back end is the insurance companies and whatever it is you guys do, it's still going to be spit on the paper right. and sent to them. And then however many people have to touch it, have to touch it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we, we talked in a previous episode to Fineo and their hopes for doing the full stack solution all the right. way for first rate through processing of life and health insurance. Are your designs on actually trying to support that in the industry or are you letting the insurance companies take care of that? Or are you building, like how, how do you plan on closing that, that yeah. gap? I don't expect us ever taking the claims risk. We still want the insurance company there because of their expertise. However, we are working with them to automate their processes so that we can get an instant price hmm. and the ability to issue the policy instantly, hmm. but not taking the claims risk. And that's the model we see as, as successful. As soon as you take the claims risk, you're in a very different business. The margins oh are lower, God, yeah. the regulatory issues. We don't want to get into Yeah, that. you don't want to get into reserve issues. I mean, yeah, you can, the issue for you is not so much the claims risk. It's the, it's the ability to just issue. Right. right. Like that's what it comes down to. All customers want is tell me I'm insured when I hit a button at the end of your website. That's it. They don't care what yeah. happens in the back to actually issue it. Yeah. So we're, we're solving for what the customer wants yeah. and we'll figure out the back end. Yeah. But it's good because you're drawing the attention. And frankly, I mean, as you grow and, and basically as the volumes prove themselves, the insurance partners get to say, you know what, maybe we do have to do something to deal with this backlog because this is this is nuts. Like the volume we're getting from this one broker right. just without with their small scale and yeah. online presence. 
business is, is huge. Besides the wait times, how's the customer uh, reaction been the date other than the volumes, like the, the feedback you're getting in terms of the process thus far? Yeah. So a lot of our customers will get the instant price and the ability what they seem to be an instant purchase. So the feedback from those customers has been very positive. Um, in fact, there have been times where people went through, they hit submit at the end, and they said, I don't know if this is real because it's never been that easy. I haven't <laughs> <Totally. laughs> um, This is vaporware. <laughs> and they, like, they call us and they say, you don't want any documents? I don't have to sign anything? <clears throat> what do you mean I'm insured? I said, yeah. it's done. Yeah, I've, I've had those, those, what I refer to them as the paradigm shifting moments where you're like, I can't be done. You're like, yeah. you're almost like, you're almost like afraid you miss something or or something's wrong right like, yeah <laughs> but that just speaks to an overwhelming experience so that's fantastic that there's a customer that. that came to us uh he he called me he came through an existing customer he said hey i'd like insurance how do i do it i said well either i can talk to you on the phone or you go to zensurance.com and submit an application he said okay i'd rather do that he goes through submission comes in i see it and then he calls me and he says hold on a second where's the paper what do you mean it's all, all online? All my other brokers that I've been shopping around with forced me to fill out these 15-page applications. I said, no, it's done. Here's your price. That's because you're Let not you know living you're in 1990. Yeah. That's right. And that's the industry. Yeah. That's, I mean, it is the case. The bar for improvement is really low. <laughs> Yeah, in the in the insurance world, it most certainly is. I uh, in the on the spot with uh, with Vanilla, I came up with the term. You know, insurance and technology go together like peanut butter and dirt. Um, they just <laughs> they're just two things that never seem to want to go together. Which and one's the peanut butter? Which one's the dirt? Well, I like to think technology is the tasty part, and okay. insurance is the dirt. <laughs> so, so that's that's the customers now. You have several partners. Looks like about at least eight listed on your website. Are you looking to add more? What was the strategic decision around those ones? Yeah, where would that come from? We now work with about 25 different insurance companies. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the eight listed there were the first eight we started with. Okay. Very supportive insurance companies. They came to us when we had nothing. Yeah. So we really appreciate their help. But as more demand comes in, not every insurance company writes every type of business. It can get exceptionally specific. Hmm. We had a resort from the Niagara Falls area come in last year. And it was the first resort we were looking at. So we went far and wide to figure out which insurance company to place this with. Somebody said, you know what, we would have done it, but they have a jacuzzi and we will not insure anything with the jacuzzi. Someone else said they've got 45% of their revenue on the restaurant from liquor. Our cap is 40%. Someone said, we don't do this geographic area. We, we don't do okay, this. Okay, we'll don't raise do the price of our food. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it can get that specific. So what we're doing is mapping what every insurance company will mm -hmm. write at which price and what their conditions are, what their coverage is. So and you can build that intelligence into a questionnaire and then basically you are right. funneling people to the right insurers. Yeah. Fantastic. So you can come in. The goal is any kind of business. We know who the best insurance company is for that type of business. Mm -hmm. And how's the, what's their response been to your uh, partnership with them? The insurance companies? Yeah. Very positive interactions. There is this healthy tension where the more you digitize and make it easy, the more easy it is for people to shop on price. Because mm -hmm. today it's very opaque. What am I buying? Why do I need it? What's oh, actually behind this? It's been a grand frustration of mine because I'm used to the life insurance world, right? Where right. you only have so many carriers worth even talking about and you can pull up one software and literally quote everybody simultaneously, right? Right. Like to me, that is creates pure transparency. Price is the price, end of story, no opacity. The property casualty world to me has been nothing yeah. but smoke and mirrors. I can't understand what's going on in the background. Very little transparency. Yeah. And so as you bring transparency and ease, you are commoditizing that low end of the market. Yeah. Most insurance companies will tell us, look, we know it's going to happen. We just don't want to be the ones to do it. But when others they do it, they don't want to see we'll their margins suffer right. initially. Right? Yeah. They don't, no one wants to suffer margins initially first. So, but yeah. it's, it's where it's going. It's the point you made earlier around right. disrupting yourself. 
nobody wants to do that. But yeah. it will happen. That's the innovator's dilemma, but it will happen. So, you, yeah. do, you know, and, you know, it's like Steve Jobs said, you either cannibalize yourself or you let somebody else do it to you. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah very few companies have ever been willing to disrupt their own be their own um, the cash cows for that matter. But frankly, I have the immense respect for those who do because it's not about meeting the next quarter's dividend payment. It's about yeah. basically surviving as long as possible. So were there any what, what kind of challenges have you faced that have been unique to you think to this soft effort altogether? What have been the biggest ones? The hardest thing was what I was mentioning earlier of the customer's expectation mm-hmm. from what they've seen in other industries is I can get this done right away. Yeah. Amazon's raised the bar for everybody in expectations. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, anyone from Amazon to Apple, any of these tech companies on the consumer side, they've made such a great experience. Yeah. The spillover effect is people expect that from every other provider, yeah. especially if you're in the small business space. The owner is just another consumer. So yeah. they're used to dealing with simple, easy solutions. They expect that everywhere else. Yeah. Managing that customer legitimate demand with the back end issues while solving for everything in between. Yeah, that I, is the biggest challenge. I get it. I mean, I once heard someone say that Amazon's expected us to create an expectation we get everything the same day, and Apple's created the expectation everything's beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Right? And I often find myself just apologizing to clients all the time for the issues regarding the experience because that, that I can't control, right? right? Whether it be the paperwork or or the uh, the time it takes to get something turned around where it's out of my hands. Like, if I can digitize my end as much as possible until the back end gets there, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I use Simple's onboarding for something, I just cringe and think about the paperwork that I have. <laughs> to put people through because you know five <laughs> minutes is better than you know god knows how long it takes to populate those forms yeah yeah so it's not that people are upset but they expect that yeah but when they go through they they know it's much much easier than the alternatives mm-hmm. but there's still more to be done yeah it's like uh, it's, a, it's a good first step or a good second step whatever it might be there's a saying in tech that if you're not embarrassed by your first, first product, product uh you're released it too late i yeah. still feel that it's it's amazing how far we've come but there's so much the team collectively yeah. wants to do was that Mark Andreessen or was it LinkedIn? No, it was, yeah. So it was, oh, what's his face now? Reed Hoffman. Reed, Reed Hoffman, Hoffman said. yeah. And then uh, I think he, when he said that at a conference the first time, someone was sitting next to him and saying, well, yeah, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to his podcast all the time. Masters of scale. scale. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Keeps me occupied as I walk to work and back. Good. Well, you should listen to mine more often. That's oh, yeah, story. absolutely. <laughs> no, I have to. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. So uh, tell me about how you guys managed to raise funding early on. I mean, that's usually one of the big hurdles everybody faces. Uh, how? Well, first of all, two things. A, you were part of Ryerson and DMZ. Let's talk about what that means. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about how you managed to raise funding from there. Yeah. The Ryerson DMZ is an amazing place for any young entrepreneur, particularly first-time entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They, they bring a variety of resources, experts, entrepreneurs, and residents to, to help you across the different stages of your company. So if you're really, really early, they help you validate your, uh, your idea. As you grow, there's marketing experts, sales experts, finance experts. So it's that community with all the experts that they provide. Then they recently launched a program called the Sales Accelerator. It used to be called The Playbook. And that's a really focused company on accelerating company growth. So they have even better experts and more hands-on approach to taking a company from, say, 100,000 in revenue to a million in revenue in six months. Mm. Their whole goal is to accelerate growth. So that was a tremendous help for us. We just graduated from that a few months ago. To your other question of raising funding, Sultan and I started the company in November of 2016, I think it was. And you were in charge of the coding? 
I, I did not code okay. a single line. No, okay. no. All right. You're, you're an engineering guy. Yeah. So I see one, but yeah. uh, I have not written a line of code in 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So you're rightly for rightly. So letting other people handle it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's their expertise. They should do it. Yeah. So actually February 29th was the first day that Selton and I did full time at Zenshurance. And then a couple months later we said, okay, let's make a story of February 29th. It's a leap day. We're leaping the industry. So that's our rationale that's for that awesome. day. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> it, it wasn't actually the case, but that's a story we like to tell. Yeah. So technically you're actually less than one year old. But... That's right. <laughs> In leap years. Yeah. Then October 31st of that year, this is 2016, was when we closed our first round of funding. And the reason we remember that is I think that was the day Trump got elected. So there's momentous occasions tied yes, to A day that will go down in infamy. <laughs> <laughs> that process to raise took about four and a half months. That's because at that time, we still didn't really know exactly what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It was just Sultan and I figuring things out, speaking with different entrepreneurs and investors. Mm -hmm. And when we raised money, we didn't even have a product. Uh, we mm -hmm. had a prototype. We had an idea. We weren't a licensed brokerage at the time, but we did have two insurance companies, Aviva and Intact, that had sponsored us. Well, that's more than a lot of the other people I talked to who had a slide deck and an idea. So mm -hmm. you, yeah. you already had something. <laughs> it's particularly hard to do that in Canada. Slide deck an idea and then raise money. Well, a little simple start off a spreadsheet. So I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were fortunate to have a couple of good investors support us in the early days. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we're in the middle of closing the next round of funding. Hmm. It should be made public in the next month, six weeks. Okay. I'll so you'll see the announcement for that. that <laughs> <laughs> and you're also part of the Portage Play for the World. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing how many companies they've, they've invested in. It's a great group of companies. We all know each other. They hold events for each other so we can learn. We're all mm -hmm. in different parts of fintech. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as there's a banking company. There's Wealth Simple on the investment side and yeah. savings now. There's life insurance, property and casualty, accounting. I like to call it a game of very obvious chess. Yeah. Um, you know, they can't, you know, Portage being primarily invested in by Power Corp, which owns insurance companies and investment companies can't own a bank. Right. So, you know what? If we can't do that, we're just going to own the functions of the bank and right. every other institution they possibly can. Right. And the things that we're going to disrupt our own business. So, like right. I said, I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. So, for the simple fact that they're willing to consider disrupting themselves. That's, yeah. that's a very rare thing. Good. And maybe someday all of these independent companies will band together and create a pseudo bank. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? Um, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, Google Copernican revolution in banking. Have you seen mm. that slide deck? I haven't. I will send it to you. It's very okay. interesting, but it talks about the evolution of banking into being more of an Amazon model. And what mm. I mean by that is Amazon is the backbone to so many different companies, right? So between right. AWS and their distribution systems and their, and their, and their warehousing, basically entire companies exist with Amazon handling everything. Right. So the way they look at it is that all these small fintechs are coming out and being hyper-specific on a service that they're offering and trying to be best in class in that. Whereas a bank by its nature can't be because it's doing too many things. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen is that many of these banks will probably just become bigger ones will become infrastructure to smaller vertical plays, right? right? So you'll have the small single vertical play. You'll have the mid-sized niche specific play that does a couple of things. And then you'll still have the larger full-scale banks, but more and more people will start to move down the value chain to things that are more specific, but somebody on the back end is going to have to handle all the traditional stuff. Right. Yeah. So maybe band together into a pseudo bank or, or basically, you know, rely on another bank to take care of it all. So, um, uh, before we wrap, so two other questions. One, how big is the team these days? We are going to be 17 people as of this okay. coming Monday. You able to share how much you guys have done in sales or, pro or, or volume of, of uh, policies? What we can talk about is, um, 
probably over 5,000 businesses we've helped. Currently, we're also only in Ontario and Alberta. Oh, wow. So only two provinces as far. Only yeah. two provinces. We're going to be expanding nationally later this year. Excellent. That'd yeah. Quite the effort. It is just a province by province game. It is. Uh, yeah. It's it, every province has their own fiefdom. Right. But um, still easier than dealing with the U.S. with 50 different fiefdoms. So <laughs> is the plan to stay national? Or are you looking at international markets in the future? For now, it's national. Yeah. The platform we're building, the products we're selling are easily expandable yeah. outside. Mm -hmm. There is a licensing and regulation aspect to it. I think you're, you're, you're being very, very coy about the concept of regulation differences. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge regulation barrier. But once we prove out our model in Canada, we'll yep. have to look at, do we expand into other types of property and casualty insurance products in Canada? Do we go up the value chain? Do we do back in the value chain mm -hmm. or do we expand internationally? Yeah, it's all versus expansion of the core offering. I get yeah. That. yeah, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, right. it's, um, it, it will be uh, something we prioritize and look at over the year and see what we do. Fantastic. Yeah. So moving forward, and this is something I ask everybody, um, what excites you about what you're working on, the industry in general, mm -hmm. or the company itself? On the distribution side, very few people have, have leveraged advanced technology to really provide advice. For us, the holy grail would be, can we automate the advice portion? People talk about chatbots. Today, it's just, I want my policy. The chatbot says, okay, I'm going to connect you with an yeah. agent that can provide yeah. you a policy. It, it document. better be very, very, very narrow for the chatbot to be effective. Right. Like, all kinds of things about Domino's chatbots and the satisfaction rates that they have on that. Oh, but yeah. It's pizza. How many different variables for pizza are there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So for us, the holy grail and the exciting thing for everybody on the team is how do we solve that problem? It's very easy to automate the data gathering and processing. Yeah. That's the first thing in any industry to get automated. Yeah. We want to solve the, the advice portion. Yeah. And the things that be challenging. I mean, just mapping out all the relationships we talked about, 25 different carriers, yeah. specifics like hot tubs and whatever, right? Like just, just being, I'm picturing the, the entire, the entire workflow of trying to narrow down to whomever. Right. That would be a huge process map. I hope you have a lot of big whiteboards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be, it's an interesting problem to solve. And over there, there's a tension as well. Yeah. If it's too easy, customers may not believe that it's real. <laughs> Or they may get freaked out that you know so much about them. So imagine you go, you put your company yeah. name, and the customer, and the, the system says, "Oh, we know who you are. You've got a hot tub. Uh, you're in this address. You've been in business for 14 years. We see from your tax filings that your revenue is one and a half million. Yeah. Here's your insurance. Do you want it?" So there's a balance of everything yeah. we can automate, yet letting the customer feel like they're in control. It's such a funny world we live in right now because everybody's still trying to wrap their heads around digital privacy, right? And the reality is, is that frankly. You just nailed it. There's so much available on them online already right. that all you have to do is know where to look. And you know, you're not doing anything wrong. This is stuff that they put out there themselves. It's public information. It's public information, right? Yeah. Like, I, I once heard a tech uh, commentator talk about how she actually paid a PI once, a, a digital PI, to go on and find <laughs> out whatever they could about her. Right. And they came back with a file that was not as big as she thought it was. But she was like, wow, there's a bunch of stuff I would rather not be publicly known, right? right. So. But until you actually, unless you do something like that, how do you know what's out there? So it's not surprising. It's funny because I almost feel like you're going to have to have some placebo buttons or, or options to say, do you consent to us harvesting, you know, this kind of information, right? Yeah. Yes, no. And then like they say, no, just, okay, well, we can get it. We're not going to look at it, right? <laughs> like yeah. it seems to be, um, it's a challenge, but. But if you think about, let's say you're a life insurance provider yep. and you've scanned images of somebody on Facebook mm -hmm. and you see they've been skydiving, they've gone backcountry camping, yeah. uh, camping. And, and yeah, they mark no to the cage sports. diving. Yeah. All right. Do you really want to insure somebody that way? Yeah. And let's say you ignore it. Are you then in the wrong because the insurance company would say, well, you're our agent. We expect you to do the proper frontline underwriting. Yeah. On the flip side, if you use it, is it an invasion of privacy? 
Yeah. So as the agent, you've got this dilemma of what do you do? Yeah. And it's interesting because the agents got this really weird age. I mean, they got a massive agency problem, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, the agents are compensated for sales, right? Right. And frankly, sales are easier if the client looks easier. So agents are actually disincentivized from doing the right thing on behalf of the insurance company. It's a real problem there. Yeah. And I can only imagine, I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, yeah, you're right. All this, all this stuff that's publicly available. I mean, their risk, some of the risk models these companies are working with are insane. Like I've seen them like, you know, with five data points, be able to within like a 95% accuracy detect or figure out what life expectancy is. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you know what they work in a certain region and they have a certain job and they're male and right. they, you know, between these ages, odds are they're going to die. What? And I'm like, what's the deviation on the actual expectation? They're like, and these standard deviations are so small. I'm like, what? Like, wow, wow you guys have clearly got this down to a science, right? Yeah. But uh, you start throwing in stuff like, you know, the things that no one wants to talk about, like the skydiving or whatever, right? Or, oh, you know, there's pictures of them smoking at the New Year's, right? It's like, oh, you say you don't smoke, you know, what's that cigar in your mouth, right? Right. Yeah. It's an interesting world and it's going to be, we have, a, we have a lot of digital privacy rights issues to solve in this world. And GDPR started the entire fiasco of fixing that, but we'll see how that goes. So, Danish, thank you very much for coming in. I'm sure, sure. we'll enjoy this if they can make it through my raspy voice. <laughs> Uh, but um, otherwise, I encourage anyone who's looking for their services to check out zenshurance.com. And I'm going to spend more time looking at your site. All right. Excellent. All right, Thank thanks you. Again. Take care. So that was my interview with Dinesh at Zenshurance. Once again, I apologize for my voice. And I hope you enjoyed that and got a lot out of it. And I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with him. And with that, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Pereira. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.